Hello, why hey. Hey. This is this is a real this is a real treat for me guys. This is a real honor. I, I get to do this like twice a year and I'm super happy about it. Um I I miss you guys a lot just off the bat, okay? I don't forget you just because I'm in, in that room next door. Um I think about you guys a lot, a lot, a lot. Um because you guys like you're our babies. Yeah, you came up with us and then now that you're here, now that you're adults, now that we're eye to eye, I think about you all the time. I think about um how wonderful it is that of all the places that we could all be on a Friday night, after all these years we're still here and may it never change. It doesn't have to be here as in this building or we've changed buildings, we've changed all that or even this church, but that we're still pursuing Christ together as a group. Um, that's an honor. That's a privilege. Um, and it's something that I'm so happy about. Um, I titled this talk, A Call to Arms. And honestly, it's a sermon that I wrote to myself. Um, it's something I've been thinking about for a few months now. And it's just, it just keeps growing. And I feel restless. Um, and I just want to tell you what's on my heart. And I want us to be able to share in that. Um, but before we do any of that, can we just bow our heads in prayer? Heavenly Father, we thank you for um, tonight, Lord. We just pray that you would be with us, Lord, um, that you would speak, that we would be able to hear your voice, Lord, that everything else would be quiet, Lord, that you would give me the words to say, that you would open our hearts and our ears and our eyes, Lord, to the moment that we're living in and what you're calling us to um, today, Lord. Um, we leave this night entirely in your hands. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to read you a passage from Ephesians 6 titled The Armor of God. Um, you should be familiar with this passage since I believe the YA are actually going through a series on the armor of God. Although I'm not going to talk about the armor itself, rather I want to talk to you about what the armor is for. From verse 10, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, he's saying, be strong, put on armor. You have an enemy. Therefore, get dressed for the fight. Okay. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when, not if, when the day comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything to stand, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Who wears armor? Do you wear armor when you're going to bed? Do you wear armor when you're going to work? What occupation requires armor? Soldiers. Soldiers. The day you and I became believers... The day you and I came to Christ, 
we were translated, the Bible says, from darkness to light. You were fighting on a side without knowing it, and now you're fighting for the opposite side. But whichever side you're on, you're fighting. This is a call to arms. You're fighting one way or the other. But when you came to Christ, you've now been conscripted into Christ's army. And now you're fighting for the right side, hopefully. That requires armor. I say fighting because none of the language in the Bible, even in the passage that we've just read, is passive. None of it's passive. None of it in any of Scripture is you've just become a Christian. Get into bed, get tucked in, get comfortable, and you'll wake up in heaven. It's all going to be great. Take a seat in front of the couch. Binge another season of Netflix. Whatever it is, none of that's in here. There's nothing passive about anything that we've just read. It said, finally, be strong. Why? Put on. That's an action. Struggle. Fight. That's an action. And then it says stand, which doesn't sound like an action, but is most definitely the action that we need to be taking right now. It says stand four times in eight verses. I tried to figure out how to illustrate this word stand to you, and I figured out no better passage than what's in here. 2 Samuel 23 from 8 to 12. It describes three of David's mighty men, the mightiest of the three. Or well, it had 30 or 31. Um, these are the mighty three who led the rest. Listen to the language. These are the names of the mighty men whom David had. Josheb, Bathshebeth, Atakumite. He was chief of the three. He wielded his spear against 800 men whom he killed at one time. And next to him, among the three mighty men was Eleazar, the son of Dodo, son of Ahohai. He was with David when he defied the Philistines who were gathered there for battle. And the men of Israel withdrew. But he rose and struck down the Philistines until his hand was weary and his hand clung to the sword. There's one more. And the Lord brought about a great victory that day. And the men returned after him only to strip the slain. And next to him was Shammah, the son of Agi, the Harite. The Philistines gathered together at Lehi, where there was a field full of lentils. And the men fled from the Philistines, but he took his stand amidst the field and defended it and struck down the Philistines. And the Lord worked a great victory that day. How passive do you feel that standing in any of these scenarios was? How much effort would it have taken each of those soldiers just to stay on their feet? Just to stay on their feet. What it's saying here is having done all, put on the armor, fight the good fight, do all of these things and having done all to stand. Just stay standing because it's going to take everything you've got. Everything you've got. Can you picture it? This man standing in a field, the sun is high, the sword in his hand, the army is at his back and he's scanning the horizon and finally he sees a great army approaching. 
The army behind him sees the enemy and they begin to retreat. But he grips his sword and stands his ground because this is the moment he's been training for his whole life. This is the moment he's been expecting. This is the moment he's been waiting for. He's ready for this moment and he's going to stand. He's going to stand. And he does stand. So when it says having done all to stand, that's not a passive thing. It's not standing still. It's, sta- it's staying on your feet in the fight of your life. That's what's happening here. Every generation has its war. Every generation has moments that call for people to stand. That call them to step forward and to step up. Every generation has its war. From your grandparents to your parents, this is what's happened in the world. There was the First World War. There was the Second World War. There was the Cold War. There was the Korean War. There was the Suez Crisis. The Vietnam War. The Iraq War. The Rwandan Genocide. The Afghan War. Global diseases. Natural disasters. All sorts of different things that have come in the time of your parents and mine. That caused them to step up. To fight for something. These are physical things that I'm describing. But nonetheless, they shook the world. You're living in peace. I don't know. 1941. Just going to school. There's a pretty girl who you're hoping to marry one day. You're going to uni. You're doing whatever. You're working. You're doing whatever. And all of a sudden, you hear a report that Pearl Harbor has been bombed. And all of a sudden, the Second World War has begun. Men are signing up to go to war. And your whole life has changed forever. The war has begun. What now? Will you step forward or will you stay home? These are moments when we're tested. Moments when what we believe is put to the test. Some step forward and stand. Some cower and crumble. Look at the state of our world today. We have a war to fight too. Back in the day, you learned at school that you have a zero, then you have one, and you have two, and then you have three, and you have four, and that's how numbers work. But then you got a little bit older and maths got a little bit more complicated, and then between zero and one, you learned that there was an infinity of numbers. The 0. 0.0000000001. 0.00, put as many zeros as you want in between. Zero and one. It used to be that marriage was between a man and a woman. It used to be that killing children in the womb was wrong. It used to be that respecting your elders was a normal thing. It used to be, it used to be, it used to be. Zeros and ones. Things that everybody knew, everybody did, everybody agreed with, and society condemned when it went the other way. We fought for values, we fought for principles. Not anymore. In our day, we live in the space between the zero and one. Everything is a spectrum. Truth is a spectrum. Gender is fluid. Love is a matter of private interpretation. That truth, that truth 
got watered down to this pitiful thing called your truth. This is the time in which we live. This is the war that we have to fight. Every generation that came before us, I'll tell you this. Um, they were studying the most successful sports teams in history. And in the last hundred years, the most successful sporting team in any sport on the planet is the All Blacks, the New Zealand rugby team. They've won more consistently than any other team at any other thing. And they were asking this man, they're like, how do the new players feel when they put on that jersey? And he said, every generation has their time in the jersey. They carry its pride. They carry its name. They carry its honor. They carry its reputation. They carry its power. But they also carry its responsibility. The responsibility to uphold that name. The responsibility to uphold that victory. The responsibility to fight like it has been fought for every other time it has been worn by faithful men before them. So that they can wear it faithfully until they pass it on to the next generation that will carry on that victory. How many men have lived and died faithfully, enduring things that we can't dream of for us to sit in this room and hear this message tonight? How many? All the way back from those who were boiled in oil and sawn in two in Paul's day. All the way to Charles Spurgeon and Billy Graham and Mother Teresa and everybody else in between who lived and died for the gospel. So that you and I could have the chance to wear that jersey today. But now that generation is passing. They're passing. Timothy didn't have Paul forever, right? There had to come a time when Timothy stepped up and took Paul's place. There had to be a time when Joshua stood up and took Moses' place. Are we ready? Speaking of physical war, there's tensions all around. Who knows? Maybe in the next decade, China invades and we're actually plunged into a genuine war. I'm just trying to bring, bring home a vivid physical reality to you of something spiritual that's actually happening right now. Who knows? Who knows where we'll be and what we'll end up in? Are we ready? I'm not talking about for a physical war. Are we ready to fight the war of our time? Do we recognize that the jersey has passed down to us? Do we, do we even recognize that we are in a war, that there is one? Or are we so comfortable, are we so sleepy that we don't realize that we've been conscripted to fight a war? That we don't realize that that baton will stop being passed down unless we're actually carrying it faithfully. The state of our world is a sad thing. Anxiety permeates every conversation I have. With all the people I talk to at work. It's just fear that hangs around every room, every corner of the back of your mind. Fear. What's going to happen? What's it? Just this, this anxiety, this horrible restlessness, this aimlessness, this lack of meaning, this intense 
loneliness that screams at me every time I have a conversation with someone. You don't think we're in a war? You really don't? You think the world around you is fine? It's going to hell. It's burning up around you. It's burning up around me. I wonder. This one day, I was a few years ago, I was going to work in the city. And I pulled up next to one of those um, tram stations in the middle of the city. And there were like five or six people standing there. This guy with a skateboard, this girl listening to some music, this old lady sitting on the chair, this girl with a pram. And all of a sudden, it just hit me. I'm like, how many of them know the Lord? How many of them know Jesus? Where are they going if they die today? How many more are like them? How many on the train that I'm taking to work know Him? How many on the street that I live on know Him? How many? And what am I doing about it? Silence in my mind. I'm too busy. But I make myself busy. I've noticed in my own heart, in myself, over the last couple of years, whenever I have a quiet moment, I find a way to fill it. My sister is sitting here. I can't hide from you. I can't be a hypocrite. I can't tell you something that isn't true. I find a way to fill it. I'll watch a movie. I'll aimlessly scroll through Facebook till one in the morning because I'm restless. But I can't be the only one who's tired of my own rest. I can't be the only one who knows I was made for more than this. I can't be. We have a fight. We have a war to wage. We have people waiting for us on the other side that need saving. And we have a real enemy. Now listen to this verse because I want to flip the switch for a second. Jesus says in Matthew 16... 18, and I tell you, you are Peter. And on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I pretty much for my whole life interpreted this verse to mean that I am setting up my church. And when Satan attacks it, he will not be able to defeat it. Right? Who else understood that verse that way? Okay, or maybe you've never heard it before. Right? One way or the other. Let me read it to you again. And I tell you, you are Peter and on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. But here's the thing. Gates are defensive structures, not offensive weapons. Listen to that again. Gates are not offensive weapons. They're defensive structures. Ladies and gentlemen, we are the ones attacking. We are the ones attacking. The gates of hell will not be able to withstand the attack. We're the ones attacking. The attacks you're seeing are Satan trying to defend his own territory. Different. Different. We're the ones attacking. We're the ones called into the fight. We're the ones who are fighting from victory. We're the ones who know what the last chapter reads. We win. We win. It's for us to go and take that ground from the enemy.
This is what we're fighting. 2 Corinthians 10 says this. For though we walk in the flesh, we're not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ, being ready to punish every disobedience when your obedience is complete. Strongholds, principalities, powers, gates, all waiting to be torn down. They come in three forms. The flesh, the devil, and the world. Those are your three enemies. Your flesh is who you are disconnected from Christ. Is every decision, every action, every thought that you have that is not empowered by the Spirit of God and in line with His Word. Everything that you think and do that does not fit into that category is your flesh. That's it. And your flesh is opposed with every ounce of its being to God's will and way. You have no capacity in and of yourself to obey Him in anything. The thoughts of man and his heart are continually evil, the Bible says. I sit there and I invent new evils in my mind and so does the world. The heart is a perpetual factory of idols. I can't remember who said that, but it's 100% true. That's your flesh. You're fighting that. Then you're fighting the devil. Who is taking advantage of your flesh and using it to present things to it to entice you? Do you like this? Do you like this? How about this? How about this? You're fighting him because he's leading that rebellion. He's leading all of these thoughts and arguments and lofty opinions that you're there to tear down. He's the one presenting them. He's the one propelling them forward into the world. You're fighting him. And you're fighting the world. You're fighting the system that's been adopted by this enemy that's against you. Remember, you were translated from darkness to light. Now you're on the other side. So this world is hostile towards you. And if it's not attacking you at all, you have to start asking yourself why. If you have no opposition in your life as a Christian, you should be asking yourself why. I have an answer for you, but I don't think you're going to like it. What's the state of us? That's the state of the world. That's our call. And that's our fight. But what's the state of us in readiness to this fight? Remember, I wrote this to myself. We're lazy. We're distracted. We're divided. We are unarmed. We are unaware. And we are hiding in the dark, we are, I wrote this for myself. We are drunk soldiers running naked and blindfolded onto a battlefield where a vicious enemy is watching, waiting, and more than willing to destroy us. How does that taste? Why would Satan attack me if I'm doing his will? You ever thought about that? 
Why would Satan attack me if he feels like I'm fighting for him? He wouldn't. He wouldn't want to disturb me. He wouldn't want to make any sudden movements. Because I'm fine right where I am. Go to church. Sing your songs. Read your Bible. But what else are you watching on that same screen? What else do those ears that listen to those wonderful worship songs listen to? When you have the urge to pray, what thought instantly pops into your mind to distract you and flit you away from it? When you think I should really talk to that friend, but all of a sudden it just all seems too hard. I'm thinking about an outing that we're going to do tomorrow and the possibility of it raining and inside, oh man, it might rain. If I can't even do that, I'm supposed to stand for a lifetime like those men in that field? Look at the state of us guys. What is this? Is this how we're going to start our time in the jersey? We're not even aware that there's a fight going on. We're not even aware that this is happening to us. If there is a man who is supposed to be a watchman over a city to sound the alarm when the enemy is coming, and that man is found sleeping on the day of the attack, the enemy would count him the greatest asset to their army. They would say, man, this guy won it for us. He won it for us. I'm not fighting on your side. I belong to this city. I'm in part of their defense. No, you're not. Reality is, you're fighting for someone, one way or the other. There is no neutral in this war. There is no such thing as standing still or sitting still. Because here's the thing. As the light of the candle burns lower and lower, darkness envelops a room to a greater and greater degree. All that the light has to do is burn down a little bit more. Just a little bit more. Just a little bit more. And the darkness grows and grows and thickens in a room. It's not doing anything. But that's the problem. Because somebody else is doing something that needs opposition. You doing nothing isn't an option in the Christian life. Read the Bible. It's not in there. It's not in there. What's our time in the Jersey going to look like? I went to a conference a couple of years ago where a bishop stood up. can't remember where he was from. And he asked a question that I'd never asked myself before. He said, when were you born? He said, March 16th, 1993. And he said, why? What? <laughs> doesn't even make sense. And he's like, why that day? Why not November 17th, 1875? Why not the 3rd of March, 1667? Why not 35 AD? Why now? Why now? Why you? Why to those parents? Why in this country? Why now? The Lord says to Jeremiah, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And I called you and appointed you a prophet to the nations. There is a time and place in history for you and me. 
God entrusted every generation with their war. With His war. Every single one. He knew who would be born at that time and He trusted them with that fight. He empowered and equipped them and in every generation, men and women stood. Stood and carried the banner forward. How great an honor is it that God would give us this fight. That God would count us worthy and trustworthy enough to be the ones to wear the jersey now. Because I look around me and I go, this world is messed up. I read about Sodom and Gomorrah and I turn on the news and I go, corporate wants you to find the difference between these two pictures and they can't. Why now? Why do I have why can't I raise my kids in a world where women are women and men are men? Why can't I raise my why do I have to man, why me? Why now? Why us? God doesn't see it that way. God says, I've called you, appointed you, knew you for now, for such a time as this. For now. You're not here by mistake. You're not here by accident. This fight isn't somebody else's. It's yours. And if you won't take it, what will happen then? God will raise up somebody else. But you live a Christian life, if you can call it that, in utter defeat. Coming to the end of your life to stand before the Lord with empty hands. Listen, guys, we're all going to die anyway. We're all going to die anyway. right? If you don't have something worth dying for, what are you living for? What's the point? What If there's nothing that evokes your emotions enough to want to die for it in its protection, in its service, then what, what do you have passion for in life that you want to live for? If none of it is enough to make you say, you know what, I would die for that. What are you fighting for? What are you living for? We're all going to die anyway. Might as well make it count. Might as well make it count. Because the next life, that doesn't have an end. And its rewards last. This one is a vapor. Our time in the jersey is short. It's short. But it can mean so much. It can mean so much. We have work to do while we're here. Just on this point of love. We fight for what we love. And so I wonder if we have no passion, no zeal, no courage to fight. Do we love? See, if you love babies, you love children, you'll naturally hate abortion. Because it attacks directly what you love. Right? But if you don't care, you don't care. Do you love something enough to fight for it? What's the state of our heart? Have we grown cold? Have we forgotten who we are? Have we forgotten the price that was paid for us? Have we forgotten what we used to be before we found Jesus? Before we found hope? Have we forgotten what the rest of the world is living in right now? 
What's it going to be? None of the biblical language is passive. Fight, take hold of, press forward. You have not yet resisted to bloodshed. And so on and so on and so on. Here's the irony of all of this. Our fight, our war as believers starts with surrender. Our war starts with surrender. Not surrender to the enemy, no. Surrender to Christ. We need to stop fighting for the wrong side. We need to stop fighting against the one person who has our best interests at heart. We need to stop fighting against our Savior. We need to stop fighting against His will like little children going, I don't like this verse in the Bible. We need to stop that. We need to pick up our swords, lay them at the feet of Christ and say, I'm sorry. I'm sorry for how much I fought you instead of the enemy that you've called me to fight. It starts with surrender to the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. It starts with repentance. It starts with a recognition of where we really are as individuals and as a church. Before every great revival in the Bible, when the Holy Spirit did amazing things and God just, it was insane. You see every single time a group of people who come humbled and repentant before God saying, Lord, we've sinned. Forgive us. We want to put away these things and we want to come together as one before you united saying, forgive us. Have mercy on us. Use us for your ends, for your will and ways. And instantly, bang. Every generation in the Bible and the ones that we know afterwards. Every generation. Our battle starts with surrender. Surrender to the king. So that we can actually fight the enemy we're supposed to fight. Because remember, you're fighting one way or the other. So if you want to fight this fight, you need to surrender first to the king. And then start fighting where you're supposed to. You want to know who the king is, who you're surrendering to? Let me tell you a little something about the captain leading this army. Revelation 19, verse 11. I saw heaven standing open and there before me was a white horse whose rider is called Faithful and True. His eyes are like blazing fire and on his head are many crowns. He has a name written on him that no one knows but himself. He is dressed in a rope dipped in blood and his name is the word of God. The armies of heaven were following him riding on white horses and dressed in fine linen, white and clean. Coming out of his mouth is a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter. He treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of Almighty God. On his robe and on his thigh, he has this name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. That 
is the commander of this army. Him. You want to fight him? Be my guest. You want to fight with him? There's a robe and a horse and a set of armor waiting for you right there. How do we fight? By stopping long enough to hear his voice. Fighting looks different every day in every stage. Sometimes fighting means resting. Sometimes, this is definitely true for me. Sometimes fighting means stopping my self-righteous attitude and my self-confidence in my ability to do whatever it is and rest so that God can be glorified. That's my fight some days. Some days it's going to read my Bible or going out to put a tract in somebody's mailbox or whatever instead of going, ooh, a new thing on Netflix that I really want to watch. Sometimes it's breaking out of my pattern to watch church on Zoom and actually go on a Sunday morning when they've reopened. Sometimes it's not holding in my tongue when that topic that I disagree with among my Christian friends, as soon as I'm faced with somebody in the world talking about it, suddenly I have no voice. And having done all to stand, to stand, to stand, to stand, to stand. Keep that picture of a man standing alone in a field against an army, swinging his sword over and over and over and over again until the sun goes down and there is none left. Because that is the life that you've been called to till you close your eyes in this life. That's the image. Having done all to stand, is a man ready, scanning the horizon for the enemy. Swinging again and again and again at everything that would take him or his eyes off of his Savior. I am preaching this to myself. This isn't me coming, going, join me here. I'm broken, screwed up and tired of my own rubbish. I'm being called to live this life. We're being called to live this life. This is the only life worth living as far as I'm concerned. I'm not going to look back on my life and go, I'm so glad I worked till back till seven this many weeks of my working career. I'm so glad I watched all of Friends ten times and can quote that obscure... When the BuzzFeed flipping quiz comes on, I can quote that really obscure... Th- oh, you're a transponster. Really? Is this all it's going to be? Is this all it's going to be? I can't be the only one who knows there's more than this. But are we willing to fight for it? Are we willing to come together in humility and repent and surrender before the Lord to fight for it, to be made new, to have a reset button on us so that we can put on that jersey and know what it means? That same king, that same commander, the captain of our salvation, he's still calling and I'll end with this verse. Isaiah 6, 8. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I 
send. Can you hear it? And who will go for us? And I said, here am I. Send me. May the Lord give us the courage to say those words for real. Let's pray. Lord, you know our frame and you know that we're dust, Lord. You know our weaknesses, Lord. You're not unfair. Um. You're not unjust, Lord. You're loving, you're holy, you're righteous, Lord. And your desire is for us. You loved us so much that you died for us, Lord. Died to give us life and life to the full. Lord Jesus, would you open our eyes to see you as our captain, Lord? Would you open our eyes to see the fight waging within our souls and around our homes and in every other place that we go to, Lord? Lord, would you give us a zeal for your will and for your ways? Lord Jesus, I pray for um, this little meeting here, Lord. I pray that it would be a place where um, warriors live, Lord. Soldiers, trained, fit for battle, ready, Lord. Able and willing to live and to die. For what they believe, Lord. For the gospel of peace, Lord. Lord, I pray that we would live for peace, but that we would fight for it. Lord Jesus, we just thank you again for today. And we just pray that by your Holy Spirit, you would impress these words upon each of our hearts, my own in particular. And that you part us with your blessing. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you guys.